So have you ever seen an alien? Now, I'm not talking about little green men that burn crop circles and fields with ships that look like something from the state fair. I'm also not talking about someone who is in a country with no legal status to be in that country. No, I'm talking about the aliens that are in this room. <laughs> yeah, I know you're going, ooh, wait a minute. Hang on there, preacher. You mean to tell me that Superman's real? You mean to tell me that Men in Black was not just a movie franchise that probably should have just been a movie? You'll get that after lunch. Do you mean to tell me, preacher, that Mork really was from Ork? No, not at all. And no matter what your wife or your husband or your mom or dad or your brother or sister have done this week, I promise they are not from another planet. At least I'm pretty sure that they're not from another planet. You may have to check on that later. Now, we're talking about a completely different kind of alien, a kind of alien that's not alone. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever been alienated? The word alien, alienated, come from the, the same word on the Latin family tree. The word alien means belonging to another, and, and alienated means estranged, estranged, pushed away, ignored, left out, left alone. Some of you may feel like that's exactly what's happening in your life right now. You feel alienated at home or at work or at school. You feel alienated even within your marriage. You feel alienated by your parents. You feel alienated by your friends. You feel alienated maybe even at church. Left out, pushed away, ignored, left alone. And that's exactly why it's important to find out about the aliens in this room. See, this may sound initially like a bunch of science fiction mumbo-jumbo, but the reality is what we look at now is one of the most satisfying things your heart can ever know. And so what kind of aliens are we talking about? Well, let's see if the Apostle Paul and his letter to the church at Corinth can help us out a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. As the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It sounds like I just gave that whole alien setup to say that Jesus is an alien with reading that verse, which is true. The truth is out. Scully and Mulder knew it all along that Jesus really was an alien. That whole show was just a... A fight, a force, a, fa- a farce. A farce is the word I was needing. It was coming somewhere. The scene here is different, though. It's not Jesus being an alien. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing trying to help them to remember the gift that Jesus gave his disciples. So what kind of gift did he give his disciples? We gave them the gift of remembering. Remembering what? Well, hours after Jesus tore this bread apart and and handed it out to his friends, a Roman soldier took a whip and and started tearing flesh away from Jesus' back. He was brutally tortured long before he ever made it to the cross. You see, Jesus was 
not just giving a check to charity. With unimaginable pain, Jesus gave his body for the penalty of my sin and the penalty of your sin. And so the disciples, days later and and long after, they were going to remember this bread that was passed out to them as this bold gift of love because Jesus passed it out knowing that he was about to volunteer himself to walk to the cross. But it wasn't just his body he was giving away. Look what Paul writes next in verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, Jesus wasn't just going to have his his body broken and beaten and and nailed to a cross. Jesus was going to give his lifeblood for you and for me. Jesus was going to die on purpose. He was going to give his lifeblood so that we might be rescued and be made right with God. For days and long after, the disciples were going to remember that cup. They were going to remember that cup as this bold gift of love from Jesus because he gave it to them knowing that he was about to go volunteer himself to be executed on a cross outside of Jerusalem. That he was going to die. The disciples were going to see Jesus again in just a few days. But that's why the bold gift part makes a little more sense. You see, Jesus was not going to stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave, and Jesus is now alive. We base our whole existence as Christians on that truth. And so why would they need to remember this this one meal Why would they need to remember this this bread and this cup when they were getting ready to see Jesus, when they actually saw Jesus? Why would they need to keep remembering this one random meal? Well, the meal wasn't random. And although they, they casually sat around that table that night, it was not a casual meal. Jesus very clearly was boldly affirming to them that before any of this stuff happened, that he was not going to foolishly trip up and get arrested. That he wasn't accidentally on some technicalities going to be executed outside of Jerusalem. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Jesus says, I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. If you're a Christian, (laughs) that should crank your tractor. This is Jesus. He's not shouting. He's not yelling. He's just saying, no one takes my life. I give my life. And I will take up my life again. And no one can stop me from doing that. Listen, in this dark world, where there is lots of trials and tribulations, where there's lots of desperation, where our social media feeds are are full of all the junk that is stressing us out, When, when the news programs and the websites are just overflowing with evil and immorality, with death and war, with crime, with criticism, with everything you can possibly imagine, 
Listen, if you're a Christian, what I just read is fantastic. Because in the middle of all of this darkness is this huge, gigantic light that never leaves. And the light keeps telling us that our King, our Savior, still has authority. That He still is the only High King and His reign is forever and ever and ever. That's our Savior. And that's why His name is higher than any other name. If you're not a Christian, we want you to know we are not inviting you to our religion. We are inviting you to the person of Jesus Christ. I gave you this quote from Tim Keller a few months ago. I repeat it again this morning. Other religions bring you a prophet or they bring you a sage and they say, this is the way to find God. Christianity comes along and says, this person is God and he was raised from the dead to prove it. Instead of saying, I like this religion because it meets my needs or I like these thoughts, you have to say, did it happen or not? See, the reason we take the Lord's Supper is we're trying to help each other, encourage each other, remind each other it happened. (laughs) It all happened. Jesus really was born of a virgin in a stable in Bethlehem. Jesus really did heal people and perform amazing miracles. Jesus really was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus really came back from the dead never to die again. Our hope is built on that. And so if you don't believe that, then we, we encourage you, please go read the Bible. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the whole Bible. Genesis to Revelation is this whole picture of the person of Jesus Christ. Go, go read the historical accounts of Jesus. And we pray that the Spirit of God might have mercy on you to help you see that all of this about Jesus is true. But we pray even beyond that, that beyond just seeing that it's true, that once you see that it's true, that, that the Spirit of God would have mercy on you and quicken your heart to see your need for salvation and to repent and to turn and to be saved by Jesus. Jesus created this gift for his disciples to remember him. He wanted them to remember his sacrifice, but he also wanted them to remember the covenant promise of his resurrection. And so he told them to keep doing this in remembrance of me. And they did, and the first church did, and and all the churches throughout history, they've, they've done this. They keep remembering. We keep remembering this morning. But the question is, why would Paul bring this up to the Corinthians? Why would he suddenly bring this up in a letter that he was writing to them? Well, he did it because there was a problem in the church. The shortest way I can put it is this. The, the blue-collar people and the white-collar people were ignoring the no-collar people. The people who had a, had a lot of wealth, or at the very least had a lot of food, they were ignoring the, the poor people in the church. They knew there was a need. They knew that people had a need, but they just kind of ignored it. That their fellow church members who were poor, they didn't help. Now, yes, you, you're not missing my language there. Poor people in the church. Contrary to the false promises of some TV preachers, There are Christians, people who are truly actually saved, who are alienated, who are desperate, who are homeless, and who are poor. Imagine you're a wife and a mother in Syria. You've got three young daughters. Your home has been bombed. Your husband was killed in the bombing. 
Or maybe imagine that your home didn't get bombed, that that a, a radical religious group came and took your home away from you. And they also took your husband away, and you hadn't seen him for months. Or maybe they didn't take your husband away. Maybe they left him with the family, but they violently removed his hands or his feet or even his tongue because he was a follower of Jesus. If you're that Christian wife and mother, then you're probably going to find yourself alienated, desperate, homeless, and poor. Or maybe you're a wife and a mother in Princeville, North Carolina. You have three young daughters too. And you work the day shift over in Tarboro, the next town over at the Best Western. Your husband works the day shift, breakfast and lunch at the Bojangles just right next door. Y'all have one car. You both get off about the same time. And you go pick up your daughters from school. And then y'all go home and you, and you have an early supper. And then you help a little bit with homework. And, and then you have a quick family devotion. And then you drop the girls off at your parents so that you can drop your husband off at his night shift security job at the community college so that you can get over to your night shift job at the gas station right out by Highway 64. And then a hurricane comes. And the only part of your house that you can see is is the roof. And you are in a shelter with your family living there, and everything that you own is in that one car out in the parking lot. If you're that wife and mother, that Christian wife and mother, you're going to find yourself alienated desperate, homeless, and poor. Governor Pat McCrory this week said something about this area that I'm speaking of, the principal Tarbor area, and this is what he said. People are playing golf 20 miles from here, and yet we have a whole town underwater. Now, I don't share those things to give you a couple of tickets for a guilt trip, okay? And I don't share those things to put a big sandbag of, of shame on your back. I just share those things to say this. We need to be careful with what we do with our comfort. For the fame and the name of Jesus, we need to be the kind of people that are looking to meet needs, looking to help people who have needs, looking to serve others. And that doesn't always mean that you call the church office and say, hey, there's a need that needs to be taken care of. Last year during the flooding here in our area, we had a family that our church was able to house for three months. We found out about this family from another church in our community. And the night that family moved into the house, there were some some families from a small group at that other church. They just showed up. They showed up with furniture and and I think a TV and some food and, and all kinds of things. And I guarantee you they didn't call the church office or tell the pastor what they were doing. They they just went and did it. We have an opportunity together to do things, but then when we leave this building, we need to be Christians that are meeting needs. We need to be looking for people that we can serve in whatever way we can. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. There were some people in the early church that were not doing good. They, they knew that these folks were poor, but they ignored them. But then they went and sat in the pew next to them and took the Lord's Supper together. 
They knew these people were in need, but they just came to church and they enjoyed Bible study and they enjoyed the music and they enjoyed the preaching and they went out for meeting three after church and took a nap and watched their favorite show on Sunday night and just ignored their fellow Christians that they went to church with and the needs that they have. And if they ignored their fellow Christians, then they might ignore those who were not Christians even outside. They had no shame in overlooking an obvious need. And here's what happens. Paul calls them out for it. But notice how he calls them out. He calls them out by calling them back. He calls them back to the bread and to the cup. This seems strange to me. That there's this huge problem of pride and prejudice going on inside of the church. And Paul's answer for it is, you guys need to think about the Lord's Supper. That seems so strange. But yet it's not, is it? Because the bread and the cup are reminders that Jesus sacrificed himself. The bread and the cup are reminders that that Jesus was risen from the dead, that he is alive. And the bread and the cup draws us back that our primary motivation for serving anybody at any given time is because of the person and the work and the love of Jesus. And so the motivation away from pride and prejudice is actually found at the table because the table brings us back to Jesus. There's another reason he was calling them back, though. Listen to verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Those three words are three amazing words that Paul would give to these people. Those three words to the wealthy in the church said this, don't worship what you have, but share it because this is not your home. And to the poor, those three words, until he comes, they say, listen, don't let these these overwhelming circumstances that are happening in your life right now, don't let those circumstances steal your joy in Jesus because this is not your home. In essence, what Paul was telling them is they were being wrong aliens. (laughs) They, They were being the wrong aliens. See, they were thinking that this was home. They were living like this was home. And heaven, well, heaven at the very least for them was secondary. Or maybe even worse, it was just a really nice idea, but it doesn't really play out in the real world. Paul's telling these folks at the church at Corinth the same thing that he told other churches. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. A person who has not seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and has not repented and received salvation, they are alienated from God. They are separated from God. They have absolutely nothing to do with the God of this universe and will not when their life ends. Paul also told the Ephesians the same thing. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Your household here is temporary. 70 years maybe, 80, maybe 100. But the household of God is infinite. It has no end. Paul's telling these professing Christians something important. Notice two words I didn't emphasize that I emphasize now. Formally, no longer. Formally. 
See, Paul was telling him, you are no longer alienated. You are no longer ignored. You are no longer pushed away. You are no longer hostile to God. You're no longer hostile to God's way. You're no longer separated from God. You're no longer shut out of God's household. Why? Because of Jesus. See, the the bread and the cup continue to bring them back to what Jesus had accomplished. The bread and the cup continue to bring them back to who Jesus was. And they believed it with all of their heart. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma. If you've never heard of Adoniram Judson, let me plead with you to, to go to uh, desiringgod.org. There's a free ebook about his life uh, that you can read there or pick up a, a book on him anywhere or, or read a good article uh, online about him. Adoniram met a gal, and she wanted to ask her dad for permission to marry her. Now, when I asked my father-in-law for permission to marry my wife, we drove around in Little Rock for like an hour before I got the nerve up to ask him. And eventually we actually drove all the way across town to a friend of mine's house and sat out on the front steps of his house before I asked him. It was the weirdest thing I think I've ever done. And I have no idea how I convinced Les to get in the car with me to begin with. I mean, I don't know how he even decided, yeah, I'll go ride with you. And the funny thing is, I wasn't even in my car. I drove his car. Everything about that story continues to make no sense to me. And I probably need to call him today and find out what really happened. I'm sure somehow, someway, I got him in the car with some promise of food. I mean, I'm just assuming that was probably how it all happened. Judson's story was a bit different, though, in how he asked for permission. This is what he said. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Well, there you go. I mean, I'm sure this guy's, you know, opening his arm. Come on, man, bring it in for the real thing. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, let's, let's do this. And then he said this, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. I mean, that's what every father wants to hear about his little girl, right? And he said this, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Wow. But then he says this, can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home And died for her and for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls. For the sake of Zion and the glory of God. And he said this. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in a world of glory? With the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen save through her means from eternal woe and despair. He said yes. (laughs) And he gave his permission. You see, that is a picture of what it means to be an alien. We consent to go anywhere because of this amazing promise that we have together. See, if you're a Christian, you are not 
alone. We are in this together. And not just us, but Christians all over the Midlands and Christians all over the world. We're in this together. We have this bread and this cup to remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus. And we take this bread and this cup together to remind us not just of the sacrifice, but to remind us of the promise. The promise that that Jesus makes that we will receive either through death or through his return. The promise of life today and life forever. So we keep remembering and we keep obeying and we keep worshiping and we keep hoping until he comes. Until he comes. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious. Glorious.